Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I'm your host. And as you will learn, Sage Francis has a big problem with my name and the person who gave it to me. My guests today are Sage and B. Dolan. They are the epic beard men. We're going to talk about their new album. This was supposed to be fun. And old days like Epitaph Records, Make Racists Afraid Again, and everything epic beard men. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time. I don't normally have notes, but uh, having two guests at once, I decided I would actually jot something down. I don't know you guys that well, but you've both been generous with your time over the years, whether that's, you know, B appearing on my new record. We did that buck, Buckshot record. No, it's called Buckshot. Buckshot. Say the name right. I can change it if you want. The video hasn't come out yet. <laughs> you know, I think the first time I talked to Sage was when... Um, when idea passed, you were nice enough to kind of take the time to talk me through some of that. So yeah, I, I just I've always appreciated you guys being available, even though we're not like uh, from the same area. I did want to shout out a couple of mutual friends because Cass One introduced me to B. He's been a, a guest on the show. Um, Pat Jensen, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, yeah. I had no idea that he had done. I wore that my sick to death T-shirt. I didn't even know he made it. Until we had known each other for like two years. Yeah, um, that's a, that's actually a unique design from him because that was painted. He doesn't often do like actual paintings. There's he has different approaches to how he does his artwork, and a lot of it is digital based. But that one was originally uh, a painting, so that's why it looks kind of you know not his signature style as far as what most people see with Pat Jensen, because we do the, the SFDG um, subsidiary label of Strange Famous. He does all the artwork, and it, it has a very distinct style. But that cover in particular is not of that uh, source. So, yeah. Yes, Shout out it's, Pat Jensen. He definitely does a little him. more, like, cartoony kind of stuff sometimes yeah. between that and the, like, prolific Buddy Peace record. You know, there was stuff right. that I that I owned from him that I had no idea, you know, by the time we met. So I, I, I think I knew him from an Eastid record at that time. But, um, yeah, just super great guy. Yeah, we ran, a, we ran a monthly in Providence, and he did every flyer every month for a year. Yeah. Uh, I was just cranking him out like, yeah, he, he kills shit. Awesome. And many of them are good enough to be framed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any of the originals? Yeah, I got some, like, I got the Neil Hamburger one and the Cool Keith one he did here. Uh, it was a cool series that we ran for a year here in Providence. Nice. And he was just the most reliable illustrator that, you know, not many illustrators can turn stuff around that fast and consistently um, where you could sign on for a year with them and, like, every month we're going to do a new design in this series. But, uh, yeah, Pat Jensen, you just shit. Shout out. That That's funny what you say about turnaround, though, because I hit him up one time and I was like, hey, I don't know if you're available, but... Uh, I had this kind of last minute thing come up. I got this flyer idea. Are you interested? And he goes, well, I'm getting married in three days, but what do you have? <laughs> I was like, no, nah, man, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, no, no. I really want to see it, though. And I, <laughs> I sent him this uh, thing that we were going to base it on. It was kind of a parody of an old AFI record. And he looked at it and was like, I'll have it to you in two days. <laughs> yeah, man, and, Minnesota fools are incredible. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to shout out a couple friends there. Um, I've been, uh, Sage, I've been familiar with your 
music since uh, the Napster days when um, Makeshift Patriot dropped. Um, yeah. That uh, was kind of a uh, the first time that I saw the correlation between, you know, I'm a punk rock kid, and that was the first time I saw the correlation between punk rock and hip-hop. You know, then, of course, you're dropping minor threat references, and it really kind of opened my eyes as to what was possible in in hip-hop. You know what's funny about the the Makeshift Patriot song is it's the first song I ever released purposely for free yeah. as a digital download, and that was in 2001, but we released it for free uh, on only one day, thinking that was going to be some kind of bait for people to like find it elsewhere, but then Napster kind of was like, no, oh. it's always free. <laughs> yeah and it was a big lesson for what we do now in 2019 it's like everything is free unless people decide to purposely purchase material or support artists through some other means because like most people stream music these days it doesn't matter if it's on a cd tape record whatever it's streamed for the most part yeah i'm sure you have similar opinions on it as i do it's not my favorite thing um, yeah, I mean, that's 18 years ago. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Is that, was it 18? Eight, yeah, 2001. Yeah, yeah pretty damn close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask about, like, I mean, Strange Famous, you've got a roster. I don't know what your infrastructure is like, but I mean, at this point, Massive. you know, you guys have been around for a long time. I was just curious as to how that evolved from being, like, you know, the label, you know, literally the label, the the image you put on your personal release and you put out your own stuff, you know, when did that turn into hiring people and signing artists? And I mean, how did that come about? Mainly it was just for me to put out my own material, but it, once I figured out the infrastructure um, and had the distributor and like various other parts that most people just don't have in place, I was like, I can't just have this for me. You know, like I went through all the effort to have this for me, but other people should have this. So I'm going to like seek out the material that um, can benefit from this. But we don't have a huge staff. We literally have one other person working with us. That's Storm Davis. Shout out to him. But, um, like, you know, people like Pat Jensen and there's like a lot of other people who are in the mix that just are not part of the daily struggle <laughs> yeah just, you know they're outsourced so um and i would say that all started in 2003 or four when we just started like taking on other projects and putting them into the system and i i was micromanaging every aspect of the label and then eventually i had to like release myself from that and i kind of am just overseeing things from time to time at this point yeah. so storm davis is really dealing with all the nuts and bolts of strange famous records i just think that that is one of the best things you can do you know we've all had those mentors in our careers that you know saw something and gave us a little nudge gave us a little spotlight you know something like that and um you know, I think just paying it back is is great when you finally have the resources to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I ever really was, in, like, inspired to do. It just kind of 
fell into place the way it all worked out at the time. And I had no idea that the industry was going to change so rapidly and drastically <laughs> over the years. Like from year to year, it just became um, impossible to figure out, but we're figuring it out as we go. Yeah. Me and uh, Carnage were talking not long ago that, you know, it's, it's really hard to make a career at this point in the underground and, and, you know, make that your living. It's something I've been balancing for 20 years and never been able to do without some right. sort of other income. Um, you know, and we were, we were kind of saying like, you know, he's able to do it. You're able to do it. And I feel like a lot of people who were part of that kind of underground boom in the late nineties to early two thousands have a lot of them have been able to sustain that versus many of the people who've kind of come up after the fact have had a harder time. But I mean, it seems like there's still a strong core of people who came in at Makes You Patriot or some of these early records and stuck with you the whole time, right? I hope so, because I like direct message them the whole the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> AOL messenger, you know, I was kind of like trying to make sure that they never forgot. You know, you know, it was hashtag always remember. That was my whole shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yellow ribbons would just remind people of Mitch the Patriot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the yellow ribbons were for. Hey, 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 Sage, uh, you didn't forget, did you? <laughs> you said you wouldn't. B, I first heard of you on uh, kind of by chance. Me and my buddy Webb, we used to go to a uh, record store on Fridays, and uh, we saw this CD that had the Strange Famous logo on it, and on the sticker, it said, like, turning boom bap on its head or some shit like that, and it said, all beats by Alias, and I thought, I never heard of this guy, but this sounds pretty damn good, and pretty much from from the moment the first track dropped, I was I was a fan. Um Word. And and we can talk as little as little or as much about that as you as you want. I know that's a obviously uh, things have changed when it comes to Alias. Well, he uh, he passed away last year, and uh, it's definitely that uh, has caused me to obviously think a lot about and reevaluate the the time and the the work that we put out together, and kind of revisiting it and thinking about his influence now he certainly like that record fallen house Duncan city introduced me to a most of my audience at this point um that was a lot of people's introduction to me anyway we worked together on the failure which was my first release on strange famous in 2008 and he he produced a couple of those songs but we just kind of connected on a beat level and on a drum level. Like there were mm. certain records that we were both really excited about the drums on and and thinking about the way the sound could be updated. This was like, this was 2009 when we started working on the records. This is like pre-Tyler, um, the creator, Goblin. Like there was no, we were like, no one was thinking like, let's make a horrorcore record. But that was uh, weirdly our approach at, as we talked it through between us. We were talking about the Grave Diggers and Live Evil, like the Flatliners, <laughs> like uh, you know, like the modern update of that. And it became this whole concept album. Alias obviously killed the beats like he always did, and yeah, he, he brought the best out of me. He ta he taught me how to produce my own voice uh, in terms of the way he was using 
and effects on my ad libs and stuff like that. It's, it's still things I do today. And he was he was really egoless. Like he he left me with a vast knowledge that he just gave to me, just because he. <laughs> <laughs> believed in my art and was down to share like and i'm talking about like lists of hundreds of records like if you see any of these buy them yeah. or you know like showing me how to use certain equipment or certain plugins um he showed me everything there were no secrets so you know he obviously left too soon and it's just a huge void in everybody's life but what is even more you know an, an incredible testament to him is that like he had some of the tools to, on these on this epic Beardman record um, that I produced, but the breaks are still alias from the from the alias oh, really? folder that he gave me, and yeah, yeah. So he's you know he's still part of it. That's I'd awesome, man. I and and the chemistry is so apparent on that shit. I mean, what you do with alias and what you do with Buddy Peace, I feel like are very different things. Kind of like you were saying, uh, it has such a foundation of drums of like this. There's tracks that have this like you know, De La Soul, Paul's Boutique sort of energy to him, but it's like soaked in effects and it's got bit crushers on and it's just got all this crazy shit going on that um, it was de definitely a huge influence on me and my group. I mean, because it wasn't just like, oh, I made these beats, I sent them to you, you rapped on them. Like, there's so many layers and shit going on. I mean, like, Reptilian Agenda is probably maybe the best example of, like, you guys just fucking going for broke. Yeah. You know. That I think one, we tried that on a couple different beats um, before it ended up on the one that it is currently on. And I, he, again, Brand gave me the record that is sampled on that song. So I, I can, I've heard the sample that he used and how he flipped it too is, yeah, that beat is really, really incredible. And the change-ups are incredible too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably my favorite track sonically on that whole album. Um, mm. But, uh, Lyrically, it got me in a lot of trouble, but yeah, sonically, <laughs> still rough. Oh, you're still alive. <laughs> I like when you reference that in another track too, where you people asking me if the, you know, reptilian agenda was true. It's a frequently asked question. Yeah. Sage, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you to uh, kind of get the ancient stuff out of the way here. As I said, I was a big, uh, well, and still am, uh, punk dude. Being a fan from a couple years before this, when you got in with Epitaph, it was like you and Atmosphere and uh, ENA. My mind was blown, like my two favorite things are conjoining. I mean, how did you and Brett come into each other's lives? I mean, that, that was such a foreign and awesome thing to me from the outside anyway, as a fan. Well, it wasn't Brett related. Brett kind of was just um, a recipient of the understanding that Andy Calkin <laughs> had. Uh, he was the president of Epitaph Records at the time. Okay. Um, Brett owned it, but he was not highly active in these moves. And I feel like Andy was viewing the indie hip-hop scene and seeing how there were a lot of parallels between what happened with like the third wave of punk rock and what was happening with hip-hop at the time as far as DIY stuff goes and how we were acquiring huge fan bases without corporate backing. And then there were like 
man, these guys could sell a whole lot more records if they had access. Yeah. We are able to give that to them and <laughs> let us figure out which ones to pick up and try to like make this work with. And I was one of those people, gratefully, because um, they did raise my profile and the public consciousness is probably a reason you even became aware of my material. A lot of people would not know of my music without that. And that's how that all happened. And that was, um, I ended up working with bad religion. I ended up doing various punk rock tours with, you know, against me and the, uh, did you do work or anything like that? Uh, there was a several, yeah, <laughs> there was several, but it was weird. Cause it was like, yeah, here we are. We have a fan base. There's, a lot of people out there who are willing to buy the music, but they can't get access to it. And finally, a label is willing to do it, and it's a fucking punk rock label, not a hip hop label. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, so it was. We, I've never felt like I was part of the hip hop sphere. I felt like there is a very specific audience for what we do. It's not particularly hip-hop it's not particularly punk rock it's not any specific thing it's very i don't know maybe even like ideological emotional sphere i think there's a lot of weird weird crossover when it comes to underground music um but uh but yeah i i also just have to ask about let them eat war you kind of mentioned that a little bit but um i was just driving with my wife the other night and we had that album playing and like my wife who's not a hip-hop fan is like singing along to your verse and let them eat war and i was like oh shit i forgot i have to ask about this like <laughs> what was your um interaction with bad religion well we <laughs> it's a very difficult question to answer okay uh, whatever you're comfortable with saying because i'm a huge huge fan of of theirs and um I am too. I am too. And um, I sat there. And that's a thing that shouldn't have worked that totally worked too. Well, I'm glad it did because we didn't want it to sound like a, uh, like a rock rap song. No. You know, like we didn't want it to be a metal rap thing or anything like that. But um, Brett was down with hip hop. He wanted to start incorporating stuff like that. I don't think anyone else in the band was interested. Yeah. And, um, they don't really even credit me on that song. <laughs> like, most people are surprised. I find a lot of people are, like, really surprised after the fact. They're like, oh, my oh my God, that's Sage on that song. And then um, when they perform it live, they there's if you go on YouTube, you will see... If you search Let They Meet War on YouTube, you will see a lot of random people performing the song. Yeah, it's usually their tour mates. Like, I have a DVD of them from, I don't know, a number of years ago, and Tim from Rise Against does your part. <laughs> which, which, as much as I love him, uh, did not quite have the rhythm to pull it off. <laughs> I've never seen a version of the live, you know, the live version that really locks it in, and I feel like they don't understand how rap works. Yeah. Like, the band itself is like, oh, anyone can just come up and just say words, you know? <laughs> like, fuck you. They've never asked me to do it live. They've never, you know... It was, a, it was a reptilian trap, man. <laughs> it was like, the whole shit was a trap. I 
you know, I never heard of this bad religion band. And <laughs> I like hip hop, all right? <laughs> and I think some punk rock dudes trapped you in a band, trapped you trapped you in a room, got you to write them some dope rap lyrics. Yep. And now they're just like flagellating, is that the right word? Where you, you just publicly. I don't know. I, just, I, I, I will tell you this. I'll tell you this. I recorded the verse in Brett's kid's room on Beverly Hills Jeez. overlooking like the most beautiful you know, setting and I was like this is the fakest shit I ever seen in my life <laughs> Fuck rock. well all I know is uh, every time I see them live and they play that song I'm like trying to jump the rail and fucking like let me fucking <laughs> no I, I mean I wish they'd get like if they asked me to like do it live I would love it it's, it's not a like long verse it's a what yeah not even it's like an eight or something. Bars. It's probably eight bars. Yeah, I would do that. Shit. But also, like it's just talking. Anyone can do it, right? <laughs> Seriously, I can go up there and talk. That's what they like, said at their band meeting. They literally had interns at Epitaph doing the verse on live shows. <laughs> like interns that I knew, and like they hate rap. They hate the culture. But they it was knew a trap. They knew it could sell, so that's what happened. But I also did a verse with Rancid. Wait. When I was first, yeah, when I was first working with Epitaph. On what record? And it was never released. I did a verse with Rancid. Um, um, Brett was producing the song. I went into the studio. They were like, "This could use a rap verse." I, I, I went to a car to be by myself. I wrote, like, this is not how I work. I don't like <laughs> just writing on the spot. But I, I did. I don't either. I was like this. Is, very unique circumstance I'm going to do this so I went to the car wrote a verse went back to the studio recorded the verse Brett was, looked at me after I recorded it we listened to it back he looked at me he was like that's fat <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed because I thought he was being funny I thought he was being funny that's a weird thing to say yeah <laughs> even back then it was like no one says that's fat you know it was just <laughs> So, whatever. But I feel like it was too. Um, the the verse was not hardcore. It was like very vulnerable lyric type shit. So it never saw the light of day. But it it sits in a vault somewhere, and something well, might be released. I don't know. I got I got mutual friends. I need to send them to bother Tim to <laughs> find this track. That's fucking amazing, man. Like yeah, uh, it's in the vault. And Prince was there. Yeah, Prince produced it. He he sat there. He gave me like a little like he had a rock. He had rocks on his necklace. There was a rock. I don't, it's not a rock, but it's like a mineral substance. It has like, properties. It has properties. Whatever. But he didn't care about rap either. He was very upset at Brother Ali for saying a fuck word on the phone. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um. So one thing that uh, you guys addressed on the the House of Bees record was uh the comparison between the two of you and i think that it it's interesting because when i when i first heard the fallen house sunken city record i was like this this sounds like uh like if sage was more of a boom bap old school you know flow kind of guy and you had this i i wrote it down but this uh part on a uh, hundred bars for SFR 
Yeah, or, yeah. or B says, quit saying I sound like Sage. Stupid, I sound like the Woo did before the double LP and all this. Uh -huh. And that's a real motherfucking well-rounded MC. Like that that whole passage I thought was great. And, and hearing you guys together from Too Bad all the way up till now, I think it's never more apparent um, how you guys complement each other but are very different. We, we also have a tendency now, having gotten in the groove of writing a lot of songs together, in the course of our careers of, of like there's just an understood like if he goes that way i go this way yep and and vice versa which is part of the fun of being in a group because you can go entirely one way and know that somebody else has, will do some other shit you know like you can't tell me shit <laughs> <laughs> That's some other shit yeah but yeah i mean i i feel like with with sage you know, you use a lot of um, secondary voices, almost like Biggie does, where you'll jump on another track a lot, you know, doing a lot of uh, layering, whereas I feel like B is a lot more just um, riding the drum beat, spitting nonstop, just if I was to generalize the two styles, and I think it's cool to be able to have that. That's a wonderful reference, <laughs> honestly. I, I've never heard it before, but it's totally true, and it also stems from... The influence I got from Slick Rick, who wrote in different voices. And yeah. When, when I record, and I feel like this is something B kind of became more aware of with this record, was that I overlap my vocals in a way where there are different voices. It's not always me. It's just kind of like me responding to myself. Yeah. And then I was like, do you want to do this one? Because this is another guy. Like, that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's totally how I write. Uh, songs that are to be recorded it's not it makes and it makes it more difficult to do live obviously because you're overlapping vocals and you're responding to yourself and it's not all your same voice it's other voices that are in the mix but um i mean it's probably easier now when you have uh, a, a partner to play off of you know yeah yeah totally but also if he doesn't feel that voice if it if that's not his voice, yeah. he can't really embrace it. But there's like characters in my head that are that voice. So they speak it and they overlap my main vocals. And that, like true, true talk, it's totally Slick Rick influenced. But the Biggie reference that you gave is totally on point because... He came through with a, like a whole new voice and delivery style for the other vocal. You know, like that's not something most people give credence to, but it's really something that needs to be credited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's an interesting style of putting together a verse. I mean, I, and I think that both of you guys have some kind of background in like more of a spoken word setting. Is that fair to say? Um, well, my, my, what you describe as the straight ahead shit is, is, uh, like for years, my, my, my definitive verse was fucking Capadonna Winter Wars. <laughs> like, like me and, and the dudes that, like, I was listening to rap with at that time, that was the shit. It was just like, let's rap for eight, 80,000 bars and never stop. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so a lot of my music, career has been uh going from that type of spitter to where there was there was a point where i was like no nah, it should it should just be like two tracks like the like the lead vocal and the ad lib and that's where you get the maximum energy because you just have to carry it all in the lead vocal i'll take it further i don't even do the ad lib 
Yeah. Yeah, I've come to appreciate the ad lib more and I've come to appreciate stopping more. That's the result of like yes. what's changed from like probably Fallen House to now is that um, especially the more I nerd out on the music half, the more I'm, I'm listening to the other instruments and when you say like drum bass, it, it is like my verses generally start with, with like scatting, freestyling, whatever the fuck, and like cadences and uh record you know and then like from there the the lines kind of evolve um and the patterns start to form and stuff but uh yeah and then and then the other half of my influence was like fucking fucked up uh <laughs> cassette dubs and outcast early on like i you know <laughs> Stangonia was my shit though like and the, the the pitched up and down and the distorted vocals and the shit that the dungeon family was doing and even some of the some of the things that like back in the day i was playing for friends and being like how how do they get this sound and then and my friends would look at me and be like oh that's a live piano man that's not that's not a sample that's why you like that that's a live piano uh that like took you know whatever a fucking decade and a half in the studio before like this record is the first time i feel like some of those production goals have come full circle and been met and yeah i'm leaving more room these days i'm stopping and i, and I had to layer vocals just to sit next to francis correctly on yeah on the beats um so yeah i did uh, i i learned a lot i i i think that no matter who you work with, if you do a project on this kind of level where you're making an entire collaborative record, you know, you're going to have to adapt and, and it's probably going to give you some new tools for your toolbox. You know, I've done a couple records with a guy named Ogar Burl. He uses so much negative space. He has more like a tame one sort of like he pauses a lot to really emphasize the lines. And um, that was something that when he was doing that, I'd be going off crazy. And then on our second record, he started doing more complex patterns and faster shit. And so then I'm having to learn to reel it in and take a breath. And the most important thing I learned from that was the revision process and going through and taking out all the extra little one-syllable words of the ands and cuz and you and he and whatever. You know, um, taking out those words can actually give your lines more gravity, you know, um, and that, that's something I wouldn't have learned without having to adjust to another guy's style, you know? Yeah, that's the type of shit you start doing when you perform it live anyway. Exactly, when you're trying to get the, <laughs> the breath right. Everything changes when you do it live. And this is something like that haunts my life from day to day because <laughs> I know we're about to go on tour. I'm like, how are we going to do these songs live? Um, the breath control, the who's going to handle certain lines... But it's funny you mentioned Tame One, because, like, I'm going to go back to, like, 93, maybe 94. I won a contest, and then I was able to open up the artifacts, and this was in, like, um, man, <laughs> bum shit, Boston somewhere, and we got a signed poster from them and an artifacts marker, because they, you know, like, were, they were tagging up shit everywhere and blah 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 but it was just that's just this is how far shit has gone it's like <laughs> artifacts were awesome what they, yeah wrong side of the tracks that was the joke yeah wrong side of the tracks that was the shit that was popping off at the time and that's how we opened up for them not me and me but like I was like doing shit with 
random motherfuckers back then. And it's crazy. They're still doing shit, and we are too. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I think that none of us, probably our lives don't turn out the way that I that we expect, and our careers go a little differently than we think. Um, but the fact that, um, you know, we're even having this conversation is just, you know, it, it's great. And, uh, we, we made you know. a song with Blue Raspberry, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Blue Raspberry is on the Epic Beer Men record. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know who Blue Raspberry was, despite the fact that I, I heard her voice on the Wu-Tang albums. I don't know who yeah. the fuck it is, but now, know I, Blue Raspberry. now I know. Now I know. Now I know. Well, you you mentioned uh, that the back in the day you were doing some other uh, collaborations. Um, one of the last things I have to ask about um, pre Epic Beard Men was um, I was a big fan of the nonprofits, the stuff that you did with Joe Beats. I was lucky enough to uh, do a few tracks with him um, when I first went solo uh, a while back, and um, that. Uh, as far as I'm aware, Hope was the only LP you guys did. Is that right? I know you had some singles and stuff, but I mean, yeah, I'm, he, I gave him the free pass to do whatever he wanted after that. What happened? Well, when I started talking to him like six years ago, he was uh, he, he told me he was retired from music. Yeah, um, okay, that's and, cool. Well, I gave him. I, I said, you know, do what you can with others. See what happens. Uh, Music is a lot more than just being creative. It has a lot to do with what you can actually work out with people. And um, it's not just about Joe B's, but this is about, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people you mentioned who are, you know... Honestly, if I could only be the creative and not have to deal with the weight of business weighing me down from day to day life yep. and you know, life would be awesome, but it's, yep. it's just not like that, you know? So, I mean, my, my worst mistake in my business life was working with Lex records who are the ones who released the hope record, which was the nonprofits record. And it just, didn't make sense. I should not have done that. Uh, you know, in 2019, I can look back at that and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Motherfucker is dumb. You don't have any, you know, rights to this. It, it, it is not going to be helpful to you. They're going to do other shit, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea. I was just so young and hungry and eager to do whatever would get my music out there, but I didn't have long term visions. So, um, yeah, that's I mean, where we're at. I, I get what you're talking about. I mean, I feel like as um, it, when it comes to groups, there's always the one person who kind of has to wear the business hat and yeah. push and ask for things that nobody wants to do. And, you know, not everybody can work in that environment, you know. And that, it's sad. It's sad because at that point in my career, it was just was like I was firing on all pistons. I was trying to get as much information out there as possible i wanted you know i was in a groove i was trying to like i had the infrastructure in place i was recording i was writing i had the people the engineers i had you know everything at my disposal i just did not have the business sense and that came with time so um epitaph came shortly after that also uh 
as much as I feel like that was a good business move, I also feel like if I had to relive that, I would restructure the whole contract. But, um, yeah, that's how it all worked out. Um, and I never, in the whole strange, famous records history, want to lock people into things that they can't get out of. Yeah. Want them to know that, you know, fuck it. You know, if, if you want to break off, jump ship, you do that. And we, we will forever let you do that. And also we'll forever kind of let you live and float on in your little raft. Yeah. And we're all on little rafts. Well, business shit aside and things falling apart, I'm a fan of the record. Uh, it's still one of my favorite things you've done. I think is a great nod to um, you know your influences. There's a lot of LL stuff and just just a lot of old school records on there. Uh, kind of like in the way that I was talking about that hundred bars track. You know, I I always like shouting out influences. I mean, like one of my first records ever. I said something about I won't smoke the pot that I'm pissing in. I was quoting you. Um, you know, I I like shit like that. I like when I go to B. Dolan show and he does the cool J. You can't dance routine. <laughs> you know, I like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like all of that. I, th I think that it's cool. Do you, do you know what the pot, the pot I was pissing in? Do you know what the whole pot piss shit is about? Uh, I mean, I know the phrase, the don't have a pot to piss in. If that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the origin of that is that like poor people used to have to stain leather by pissing on leather. Um, the poor, the poorest of the poor did not even have a pot to piss in, so they had to, like, just piss straight into the fucking pot. But, uh, uh, no, not the pot, but onto the leather. I'm just saying, like, the pot to piss in thing is a weird, like, there's a pot. There's a, some people like pots, some people didn't, but... I'm smoking pot right now. That, that's what I'm getting. See, I took more from the, uh, I just appreciated that it was a rapper saying a straight edge line. I was like, wow, wow, there's somebody like me out there. That's cool. I, I just want to talk about pasta pissing, that's all. I mean, sure, we can talk more about pissing, I guess. If, if I just want to talk about pot. See, I'm less interested in that. What's up? I'm less interested in that. Uh, you want to talk about pot? Nah, nah. What, what do you want to talk about? You, this is my TED talk. Do you want to have some... <laughs> Pot to piss in? There's strains of piss. It's different. What? There's different. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Welcome to my asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> what this is is asparagus piss wax. It's a wax that we form out of the piss, and it tastes just like asparagus. It will knock you unconscious immediately. Listen, you are gonna smell me for the next week. <laughs> asparagus piss will be the last thing you smell. It's fucking always hard interviewing two people. <laughs> it's, it's like you don't even know that asparagus makes your piss smell weird. Look at you, Sammy. Warm hands. I mean, I'm aware of it, but to be honest, I don't spend much time in the produce section. I, I don't eat very well. How are you going to call yourself warm hands and not know about asparagus piss? Well, if you, if you must know, somebody called me that because they pushed me while I was at the urinal and I pissed on myself and they nicknamed me that. Oh. And I said, well, fuck you. I'll just call myself that and then it won't. You can't embarrass me, so that's... And then, like, uh, Johnny, Johnny Cash gave you the finger behind your head. Yeah, right there. Here, <laughs> here I got, another, I got a cash, another cash record right here. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Love it. Um, I love it. All right. Last thing before we get to the uh, ep- epic beard shit. We start getting weird at this part of the podcast because not a lot of people listen to the end, you know? Dude, that's fine. <laughs> Asking the fuck up like, around the end. So, last thing I want to ask about in terms of solo shit was uh, make racists afraid again. Um, yeah. I think that that, you know, like when, when film the police and which side are you on, and, and I think that's an important part of your body of work and who you are as an artist and... Um, if I can get a little personal for a second, right now I'm going through some shit that's like some a friend shows their true colors shit. I see somebody that I've known for years. They share this meme. There's a person who's like very um, likes to push buttons, likes to be edgy. You know, I like shock humor. I'm a big fan of stand up and filthy rappers and shit. But um, I saw this meme and it was like, oh, that that seems kind of racist. And then it had a hashtag on it that, that was like racist jokes. And I was like, that doesn't sit right with me. And so I started poking around the person's profile. And I found video of him saying, like, just dropping the N-word and telling racist jokes in a way to, like, they think it's just, like, edgy comedy, you know. And I, I, I had to call him. We had, like, an hour and a half phone call. I was like, yo, this is not fucking, you're not Don Rickles here, buddy. This is not George Carlin. Like, you, like this is fucking out of line. I'm trying to give you some perspective if this is the kind of shit that you're talking behind closed doors, you know? But, like, I'm just curious, like, I mean, since you started pushing that out there on the merch and taking a stand in this fucking time we're in, I mean, have you had to sever relationships in in the same way and go, and go oh, man, I can't believe this person I've known all this time really thinks like that or really thinks saying this shit is cool, like, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's um, unfortunately that's kind of always been a part of where we live and come from, um, sort of the nature of where we grew up and who our families are, even. Um, and and now, um, you know, the families we married into. Yeah. And um, so yeah, like people around us certainly I've seen like alienate themselves. A lot of Fox News viewers in my life who I watch go deeper and deeper into these kind of cocoons of like fear and anger and um uh, kind of slide off the scale i think social media has has done that to a lot of people's lives too where you suddenly see like the inner ideology of every single person that you've casually known around you yeah um and yeah it's been an interesting period of of activism and awareness start from i mean before before film the police, my first protest was uh, the Amadou Diallo shooting in New York. He was shot 41 times, and he was unarmed. Um, and then 9/11 and all that stuff, the Bush years, all those protests, and where it's come to now. Film the police was a moment after the Oscar Grant thing, where a lot of people captured it on their phones. Yeah. And I was talking to cop watch activists from Massachusetts about how they were training people to set up cameras in their windows and record the police when they were in the neighborhood, um, in, in districts where they were harassing people and stuff. Um, and so that's how film the police came about, which in that wave of smartphones and, Black Lives Matter came next after that, Occupy Wall Street, and uh, yep. where it's kind of ended up now. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny moment. It's a strange moment. 
uh, a lot of things have been brought like right to the surface by all this awareness and all this pointing light and attention at things. A lot of things are, are no longer subtle or hidden and are just right out front. So, you know, motherfuckers will put the hat on, the clans not even wearing hoods, and... Yeah, the KKK so is wearing three-piece suits. <laughs> yeah. So it's the time to, uh, you know, like, look people dead in the face and say okay this is who you are that's where i'm at man I, I, i'm not like i can't fucking pretend i didn't didn't hear that shit you know like you're talking about i i i feel protest music you know and i i i mean god back to makeshift you know like it's it's just been something that's always been important to me i don't consider myself a political artist but i feel like there's always something like on all of my records there's probably one track where i feel like i have to go in on this thing that's going on right now and and film the police was just one of the most timely and clever tracks not to mention just the whole nwa flip like i that was that was like my song of the year man but I try to avoid like the bumper sticker shit, the easy shit, and yep. the, you know that was something that really turned me off in the slam poetry world early on. Was like seeing people exploit things, and it's it's easy to turn uh, any music venue into a, a soapbox and just say shit that's easy to agree with. Because what change are we really? Yeah. You know, I've I've wrestled with that for a lot of years. Of what is the actual effect of political music or art? Um, and for a long time, I was I was convinced the answer was nothing. And then songs like Feeling the Police were like, okay, maybe there's like really concrete things that we can just stick in people's minds and just little slogans or catchphrases or hashtags or whatever that can just raise awareness. And, um, and yeah, but I, it's the constant, because you still have a responsibility as an artist to not be cliche and not be cheap and not... Yeah take on someone else's struggle and not uh and come from a real perspective so the challenge is still there and if not more so when i was talking to my friend the other night you know that's what i was trying to get through to him i was like look i mean i'm the guy who, i just released a double album right you're on it and 23 of those 24 songs i'm just talking my shit and doing my thing right but on one of those songs i had to go in for six minutes and it's probably my biggest song to date on this whole, the history that got us up to this point we're at right now, you know? And I felt like it was necessary and I couldn't not do it. It's not a political record. Again, I'm not a political artist. You know, I'm down to push the envelope and piss people off and whatever. But like now is a time where I do feel such a responsibility and I appreciate you as an example of, of somebody doing that. Oh, man. So, yeah, well, uh, Sammy. Sammy. I'm listening. You hear me? Yeah. Because <laughs> this is a weird format. I don't know. <laughs> you called yourself Sammy Warmhands. Yeah. Okay, explain it. I, I did. Uh, okay, I'll give you the full story. I'm 18 years old. I'm at my first job. We have a party for somebody who's going away. I go to the party. My manager is there. He shaves his head. He shaves his head bald. Okay, he shaves his head bald, and he is uh, a dickhead to everyone. We love him, but he's a, he's a total, total dick. Huge dick. He's a bass player in another punk band, so we knew each other. So he is not down in the bowling alley lanes with everybody else. He is sitting up at the table above the lanes, looking down on everybody else. Right. 
typical that's just how he rolls so i snuck in and i wound up and i palmed him on the back of the head i just gave him a good loud slap you know he's much bigger than me and i ran away and um a little while later, I had to go to the bathroom, and I'm looking over my shoulder, like, over and over, just making sure, because I fucking know he's coming. And finally, I feel safe, and I start to pee, and I swear two seconds later, he pops out like a fucking ninja, and puts two hands on my back, pushes me, I pee on my hands, I pee on my pants, and um, the next day, when we're at work, he gets on the intercom before the door opens for business, and he tells the whole crew what happened. He made me piss on myself. And he said, so now on, he's known as Sammy Warmhands. And so my first rap record, I just put under my own legal name. And then uh, after that, from like 2008 on, I just decided to use that. So. All right, so you let this guy who fucking wanted to shame you name your creative handle and you know i just want you to know <laughs> if you give us this information we will knock the fuck out of this cat <laughs> and we can move on there's no ill feelings i uh no, i used no, to call no, him carpet no, back no no because no, he's a very hairy no, man we got more hands and we got more hands you know Mr. Warren, man. <laughs> you want, we got vans. more hands we got more hands wow well, you see these more hands. I'll let him know he's got to watch his back because I know you guys are coming through his town. So we'll be there, and he's gonna fucking see these more hands, okay, Sammy? So uh, I appreciate That's that. Um, no, no, fuck this, fuck that name, <laughs> fuck you adopting it because someone did that to you in a urinal. Just change the story every time someone asks you, like the Joker. Yeah. Just change. Next time someone asks you. <laughs> Never tell that story again. Sammy. <laughs> fuck that. Fuck, fuck that. Fuck that guy. Fuck that name. We're coming for this fucking dude. We're going to fucking knock his head into a urinal. <laughs> Is it still a swirly so, uh, if he's bald? We're doing this. All right. Stop. He was your manager at 18? He was an 18-year-old manager? I was 18. He was older than me. He was in... Uh, oh, all right. Yeah. He was... Fuck old people. They're dumb. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh... No, Speaking of, right. we're fucking coming for this cat. Fuck you. Well, but what I was gonna say is, you're coming for him now. Bashing this dude's head in no. the urinal. What's his name? His name's Kevin. His Kevin. Of course, his name's Kevin. I knew Kevin his name was Kevin. You fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I didn't know it upset you all this time. You're like, this guy's all right, but his fucking name. No, he's not all right. This is a fucking piece of shit. I hate this cat. You're a good dude. <laughs> He's fixated now. He's already, he's lurking his Instagram. He's searching Kevin on Instagram right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll tag him when this uh, interview comes out. Oh, Kevin Warman, look out! <laughs> like your fucking head is in my me already. So, um, before we get too Fuck weird you, here, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, I'm enjoying the self sabotage aspect of this. I mean. I got nothing Kevin else to do. Shit. <laughs> dude, I'm gonna fucking kill this dude. <laughs> this guy. Don't uh, laugh. Kevin is a dumb piece of shit. He's dumb. This He's guy, dumb. He's gonna get fucking like. Watch what happens. Let me let me tell you something else about him. Then he uh, later started a punk band that only played Britney Spears songs. 
Uh, all right. So season one, we went. No. We went from. We went from too bad. We went from the occasional mixtape track uh, to uh, making this a full-on thing. Kevin, sending you to heaven. Why the hell you stepping? <laughs> to my man. Fuck you, Reverend. If you guys want to make a diss track, I mean, I'm down. Let's start making a diss track. He gave you this fucking name, Sammy Warman, so we're fucking <laughs> dead, this dude. Uh, I really don't mind it. I mean, it's better than my real name. My real name is Whartonby. I mean, that's... no. Oh, that's, nobody, not, that's not bad, by the way. That's, it's, it's a name that everyone reads and goes, how do you... Just how do you say it? I'm like, can I just spell it? It's fine. You don't need to... Eh. Hey, yo, and then you say, oh, Sammy Warmans, look at me. I'm fucking... I, I have a fucking very curious past. <laughs> <laughs> See, I relate, I relate more to my uh, piss joke name than to my real name, honestly. Well, that's because you're fucking dead inside. We talk a lot about piss. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I know, I'm just saying, it's not a bad name, I like it. Oh, now you, now you like it? <laughs> See, I was or, under a different impression the last ten minutes. I like he just wants to fight Kevin. He just needs, a, he needs a, a place to put his anger, and right now that's Kevin. And does Kevin deserve it? Yes, probably. <laughs> but you're going to bring a new Kevin tomorrow. You know what I mean? Does it make you and feel... Kevin will, Kevin will marry his... Go home to Mrs. Kevin and their fucking eight Kevin kids. If there's a Mrs. If, if there's a Mrs. Kevin, yeah. I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, yeah, he's been married a long time. Mm-hmm. No, no, I can't deal with that. He's got a minivan. Can I? <laughs> no, what, no. Will it make you feel any better if I tell you that around the same time when we worked together, he used to do shit like, go get me a soda and, like, not pay me back? And so one time he did this, one time he did this, and um, right before I got in the store, I blew my nose in his straw. And then, oh, okay. and then I handed it to him, and then he drank it, and then I said, does it taste good? Because I just blew my nose in your straw. And um, he uh, wanted to punch me, but he didn't, and I said, that's for the pissing thing. So, you, know, you, had, a real, you had a real intense situation going with <laughs> Kevin for quite a while. He was your, like your nemesis. I mean, like Would you say he was your nemesis? 15 years ago, maybe? All right. Workplace. Rivalry. Yeah, years ago, but there you are with your Sammy Warman's name, because Kevin, fuck Kevin. <laughs> What's Kevin at now? How's Kevin doing? There you go. Sammy Warman's. Stuck with it. Oh, fuck Kevin. I don't care about fucking Sammy Warman. <laughs> right now, Kevin. Kevin. Let's Kevin talk about Kevin. We're not on Kevin's podcast right now. I know that. <laughs> yeah, that's fuck true. Kevin. That's true. Kevin is a piece of shit. Can I ask you about season one? Am I allowed? Sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> season one of your life is Kevin. I'll tell you. That record. All right. How about this? Fuck that. This was supposed to be fun. All yeah. right. The title of the record, when I first heard it, I read it in a different tone because I just saw the album yeah. cover and I was like, you know, this, this was supposed to be fun. You know, I, I know you guys both suffered some personal losses last year and i was like i know the album was supposed to come out last year and i thought you know maybe this was in reference to some of the shit you've gone through and then i listened to the first track and i was like 
maybe they just want to fuck around. <laughs> you, you talking about hedges? No, no, no. The the opening track, uh, hours and minutes. Uh, hours and minutes. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Okay, so you heard the whole record. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kind of go back and forth. I mean, we like the title because it can be read a couple ways, like that. It works. It works a couple ways, and yeah, it encompasses a couple big and small themes of, of the process and the actual topics we're covering on the album. We talk about fun. We try to experience fun. We observe fun. Did the did the art have anything to do with uh, Sunken City? I mean, it literally is like a sunken city. No, I mean the original title was supposed to be. This was supposed to be Kevin, and and B was like, "What the hell does that mean?" I was like, "Man, you're gonna know when we talk to fucking Sammy Warmans." And then he was like, "Well, no one else is gonna know that, so let's." call it something else it was like okay this is supposed to be fun i was like all right cool sammy warm hands is fun that makes sense it's good but like we're in the post-apocalyptic usa but it's probably not just the u.s it's a world problem but we want to have fun during this disaster of our existence and speakers yeah. We're going out yeah, with a bang. Desert of our fucking lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he knows more about it than me because I'm just like whatever you say. <laughs> well, I like the record a lot. You know, like I said, from House of Bees two. I think that was the first time you guys did a Beardman track with Too Bad. You know, I've been looking forward to more shit from the group, and um, you know, season one was good. It was short. This one, what? uh, are you serious? What? Sure. sure. Season one? Yeah. It was eight. It was eight. I mean, if he's been listening since 2012, to a lot yeah, of people, that's still one, songs Season one's new. not short. This shit is like, that's almost full What's LP. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. But I already had all the early, or all the bonus yeah, tracks. He's, he's a, yeah, he's an original. I will original say, idea. though, the fact that having Too Bad and some of the older tracks at the end of the record, I felt was a great decision um, because uh, I listened to, um, you know, full-length albums a lot more than I listened to mixtapes. So um, having all that shit in one place was awesome. But yeah, like, I mean, the new record, it covers so much ground. I mean, it is a very boom-bap record, but there's, I mean, there's weird 8-bit sounds, there's metal guitar samples. I mean, there's all kinds of shit. Was that um, a goal to try and experiment and fuck around and just see how crazy we could get with some of this shit, or did it just kind of happen as it came? Just like, well, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because I'm going to let you take it from here, but it's not sample-based. B like, kind of took on how to make these sounds more authentic with actual instrumentalists in the studio. It, I think it ended up that way probably out of backwards invention or necessity or something we we started with a, a whole bunch of demos and then when we looked at the lp they were like they either involved a sample that we couldn't clear or something that or a beat that couldn't be used or uh, there were no stems for it or a, any number of reasons that we had to just like reconstruct beats or kind of work in a situation where we like had the lyrics and the hook but didn't have the beat so that which is a weird way to sort of reverse engineer stuff but yeah. a couple of these songs were made like that so some of these are kind of remixes. Uh, almost, yeah. I mean, from the from the demo, like there was in the 
in the way that there was never a finished demo. It was just like a, a start of an idea that then the beat had to be made for. And in one case, the song Shin Splints, where it was this really elaborate idea where we were like, okay, it's going to speed up in tempo and then it's going to slow down and then it's going to speed up again. Um, we had to like learn how to do new shit with the software and like tried that a couple different ways with live drummers and um, ended up going with sample-based stuff. But yeah, it was, a, it was a big production project and it was just finding what fit each song and what would deliver it. And it was on almost every song it ended up being a different thing, which is why the record sounds so kind of fast in terms of like there's chip tune stuff on there and there's yeah. boom bap shit in there, but then there's guitar, you know, like we, we kind of ended up touching everything. It's still consistent, you know, like I don't want to give the idea that it's not because I feel like it flows really well in that when you do deviate, then the next track is always a very kind of boom bap track and it kind of keeps coming back when you step out of the box a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's organized around the drums and soul samples and all samples too, which is the a more of an Epic Beardman sound distinct from both of our solo projects where yeah. some of the stuff we're even sampling is specific to the Epic Beardman at this point and the like feel of how what we like to perform together. Yeah, I can totally feel that. I mean, just the opening seconds of the record when that first beat drops and that uh, I don't know if it's a it's a piano bass line or what um, in yeah. hours and minutes, but like holy fuck, <laughs> like I, yeah, that was a reanimator beat. Man, he he knocked it out of the park with that shit, and it yeah. just like from the first couple bars, it's just like okay, this is gonna be fun. Um, <laughs> and you know, I like we dropped into the whole um, license to ill straight out of Compton sort of thing for uh, Slug's verse. It kind of had that little breakdown in Pistol yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought up Shin Splints because I, I was wondering how a track like that even comes to exist. I mean, it had to have been a concept first. There's no way you didn't have yeah. all that crazy music a, arranged, yeah. right? Yeah, it was the concept first. That one actually took a year to come together. I believe and, it. And the writing was the shortest part of it, the, our lyrics. It was just that we couldn't write our lyrics until we had a beat. And yeah, we it, it was like a, a math problem by the end. It, at, at first we were like, well, uh, you know, because I, since Kill the Wolf, I've been messing with whether we could replay drums and make them sound like sample drums and like satisfy me in the yeah. way that like as a hip hop listener, I want to hear drums. And uh so we just, for this record is kind of the first time we felt confident in doing that and so we're like okay we're gonna get a live because that'd be the easiest way to speed up and we we tracked the whole session with the live drummer and then tried to work with those five that didn't work we ended up like scrapping that and then and the beat that's there ended up being made out of this record that i spent i've never spent this much on a record in my life i got it in hamburg germany it's like they'll never find this fucking record. <laughs> it's just like some polka record fucking, uh, and that, that did the trick. But yeah, that, that beat took a fucking year. And it was just uh, like figuring how, how long it was going to be, what the slow tempo, where the fast tempo, how to draw the curve and all that shit. And, and uh, yeah. I think that, that that track is just masterful. I mean, it's it's very like in in the school of, Black Alicious or Freestyle Fellowship or something like that. I mean, that is a curveball kind of track that that some a listener like me really appreciates. I mean, that 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 I I could tell how much time that took. You know, <laughs> to, to be. 
clear. The concept came about almost 10 years ago because we were running through um, some kind of airport in Europe and B was like, had to take a fucking time out because of shin splints. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are shin splints? What the fuck's going on? Fucking, that's what happened. That's what happened. I was like, shin splints, all right. That's well, funny. I'm yeah. going to have to fucking like run to this terminal right now and you can meet me later. But I mean, in terms of like, okay, guys, I've got this topic, you know, I've got this, I got this crazy idea for this song. Like, it, I feel like it's so hard to do something like that and not come off as like gimmicky. Maybe to do a song like that that was totally serious would be over the top, but with, yeah. with the tone that it has. Um, and and, yeah, the, I mean, the level of dedication to do some dumb shit like this for a year, it's like, could yeah. only be, it could only be worth it in the way that it, it's us realizing a joke we've had between each other for 10 years. Yeah. It's like this fucking shin splints joke of every time, like, we have to run, like, ah, fuck, you know, shit, man, we should make that shin splint song, we should make that as we, like, run into the fucking airport laughing. And, yeah, the, you know, the, it was a labor of love. <laughs> it might be, you know, it's, it contains a lot of our real airport interactions also. It just, yeah. Uh, Did you have to throw away your beard oil? Um, no, never my beard oil, but my body wash. I bring body wash back from the UK. Oh. They got this minty, minty body wash that just makes your balls tingle. It's so good. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's a good shit. You'll have to write that one down for me. Uh, uh, I think it's called Main Source. No. Fresh. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not telling you what it is. <laughs> um, I wanted to, to appreciate the... Uh, the Friends reference at the end, because uh, I I thought for the longest time I was I don't know the only one I had heard anyway to to reference a Friends episode was me. I don't really watch Friends. I mean I've I've seen probably every Friends episode because they've been on my you know just on a TV somewhere yeah. my whole life. But uh, nah, I don't really. I just think I thought it was funny. No, it was a good line. It was a good line. Thanks. There was a couple songs I felt like were on some classic Epic Beardman shit, like Take a Break, Chill is Gone. Felt like some of those could have come right off season one or one of those early mixtapes. Like they just dirty break beats and up tempo shit. Like I Take a Break in particular is just funky as fuck, man. <laughs> like the. This could be fun live. Vodka's coming on tour. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I'm hoping because you guys had to. Uh, take a day off instead of playing my town you know but uh is that before the 420 show in portland uh yeah you're doing that one i tried to get you a 421 here but um you guys needed a nap or something so i'll i'll, I'll you know i'll i'll try to drive 100 miles to yeah. go see you you don't take naps so you're just taking a nap right now yeah did we lose him absolutely yep <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you need to talk about Kevin? Are you just sitting over there? Like, is it boiling up? Dog, Kevin, I'm going to fucking ruin this dude's life. I hate this cat. <laughs> I'm sorry I've upset you so much. Fuck Kevin. Fuck everybody with the Kevin haircut. The Kevin haircut is just shaved bald. Because we don't know, we don't know his last name and we can't, we can't say his name probably. Anybody I'll say his name. Same haircut. I'll say his name is Kevin Cameron. <laughs> I, I fucking love that you fucking like secretly are trying to fucking ruin this cat's life. <laughs> His name's in print in my book, so it's not it's not like uh, I haven't 
talked shit about oh, him your before. Big, your big fucking book that's in fucking. That's that's on merch tables everywhere. <laughs> Dog, Kevin Cameron's done with. You understand <laughs> that right now? If he was listening to this now, what would you want to say to him? Listen, he's going to hear this. Kevin Cameron from the big bookstore that I bought fucking Sammy Warhan's book from. <laughs> Watch what happens because I, I know how to like ruin lives like that. <laughs> I like the way you took that promo. That was good. Sorry, um, who was the dude that used to rock with the Undertaker? Paul Bearer. Yeah, Paul Bearer. Yeah, I got very Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer. I'm, I'm fucking Paul Bearer. Well, hey, it goes with your real name, huh? So. <laughs> Doug, man, Sam, fuck Kevin. Fuck this cat. <laughs> fuck this dude. You fucking like honest. Oh, Kevin Cameron. We're going to fucking ruin this cat's life for welcome. Goodbye. Uh, when is your tour kickoff? April 4th. April 4th. This will come out on uh, April 2nd. So um, sure. you guys stay tuned for that. You can buy the, the record at strangefamousrecords.com. Yeah. So. Kevin, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, Kevin. Well, I, I appreciate the advance <laughs> and your uh, enthusiasm on my behalf. <laughs> Yeah, if you make a you could make a whole EP dissing Kevin at this point. You have so many Kevin, fuck Kevin samples just from this podcast. Like you could chop up fuck Kevin samples for the next three albums. You realize that? I mean, it could be on Kevin, War on Kevin. We'll remix the War on Christmas. Will be the War on Kevin. Semi warm hands hive. You know what to do. Kevin Cameron is out there. Bring him to justice. War on Kevin. Go. All right, that is our show. I'm going to try to do more phone interviews like this and get my friends from outside of town involved in the show. If you like it, you can listen to past episodes. I've interviewed Gifted Gab, Blueprint, Illogic, Carnage the Executioner, Esid, a lot of others you may not know, but great talent in the underground. Subscribe to it. Give us a five-star rating. Help spread the word. And we're going to listen to this epic track from the epic beard men that we talked about it's called shin splints Black on the mattress in Hackensack We in Jersey Birds chirping trees It hurts to breathe Surgically We construct last night's blurry scene Urgency Quiet kinda worries me You ever get that feeling like you gotta be somewhere? Yes Now I'm creeping down the stairs in my underwear Dress. Okay, my phone was in the microwave With 3% left display 30 missed calls Voicemails and tests So let me check Baby, just checking to see if you're up If the early flight to Europe Word up Yo man, you get my text? Flat tie with a gypsy 
cab driver Doing 60 in the breakdown lane Hit a divider Or that's not the kind of mileage That I'm known to embrace I told him take us to war pace I'm trying to fold space When I hopped out the Taurus No bull He disappeared in a pink fake cloud I'm a generous critic Had to give it four stars I was begging forgiveness Say just waiting at the door Like you are late My bad So late Sir, your bag is overweight Okay, start dumping shit Now we gotta go to the gate I'm out of space Got a couple things here That you no, can take No, way Come Throw on. the beard essential oils in the trash Why you mad? Get the vinyl out the carry on And we can make the dash We just need the instrumentals And our merch to sell Gonna travel lightly Or your legs will hurt like hell Shit's bliss I'm in the passing lane Shit's bliss Even if the car's going Shit's bliss If you're new to the show, I'm really excited about this track. It's from my new album, Figures of Speech, Sammy Warm Hands, featuring B. Dolan. Nothing's gonna stop me, I'm stalking and stomping, topping every past time you saw me hawking every last copy. Not being cocky and knocking your hobby, but I'm the blinking beacon that's peeking out of the top of your stocking. The path to providence is all of this. Look at me, Booker producer basis, more faces than Booker B. You're basically out of your league, face it friends I never straight for the safest of chasing basic friends They're facing pages, eviscerating the stage And then pay them on a plagiarize and say goodbye, erasing them Take them to task, not a patient or complacent guy Put them on blast, now they quiet like the Haitian guy Amazing I've been here long enough to write this song Stayed alive, never thought I'd make it quite this long Never thought I'd face a fight this strong But fuck it, I'm climbing the summit till I write this wrong <laughs> 
Y'all do not provoke People always want to touch the bear to give the bear a poke See if I'm still aggy as the fat from them years ago So they try to trap me into acting like an animal Till they catch a slap and throw a tantrum at they never show You feel this thing? I'm not a thing you can own My public record's fucking bad, them disposition is known Don't rewind me to the past to hear me speak about the dead When I'm standing in your presence as a monument to them Excellency in the cadence, execution with the pen Every verse is dedicated, revolutions in the wind Residency on your playlist, but your favorite's not your friend Don't confuse me with your partner, cause relationships can end Co-produce your disc record if you feel you can offend Anyhow, where, when, it's them epic bears Heard you digging like the group, cause they had a funny name We just letting off some steam, you just sleeping on some game I see everything and never blink, set the record straight Told Sammy I'll be late, he said fuck it, let him wait <laughs> In a million miles a minute The sky is only the limit If I am pilot and timid Fill the negative spaces with phrases Try to mimic continents with confidence I'm digging in and climbing in it I'm a left promise to kick up on the dead weight Later, type a heart is born And you'll dine on your words Price paper, vice admiral I'll ask for your advice later Just give me the next best thing To an X-wing, a lightsaber The pen is mightier But I'ma use a keyboard The lesson on vessel But truest on the western seaboard My friends can attest Monster when I rock to record Even though my disposition As Oscar and E.R. Oh, by the Obama, my term will never be up Riding long as I'm alive and when I'm 70 plus I'll be riding the pocket lining and living it up I'm a prophet, a rhyme and remind it, nobody gives a fuck We'll see you in Portland and, uh, yeah, fuck Kevin, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, <laughs> Have a good night, guys Good night <laughs> Later.